We have headphones. We do. We've upgraded. I'm really excited about it. This feels right. I can right. hear you. You're, you're I can hear right you. next to me. It's like you're whispering to me. Tanner, I don't know voice. how to make sense of what we just witnessed. I think one way is a, a normal dude. I'm talking about the Ed Sheeran documentary we just watched. <laughs> yeah, I figure. I love how we start out on the wrong page um, from each other, but... When that documentary ended, what was it called again? Songwriting? Songwriters? Songwriter. It ended and it showed all these images of him. And I apologize for jumping right in. Please but do. I can't help myself. It shows all these images of him when he's just a wee lad, just a, a tender teenager. And I'm thinking in every one of these shots, he's got a guitar and he's playing in front of a crowd of a bunch of people. And we yeah. never had that stage of life. We've talked about that before. He did so much of it. He breathed it. He breathed it. It was everything for him. At least that's the way the documentary makes it seem. That's not just the documentary. I, I know that's yeah. true for him. Yeah. That's, that's consistent with what I saw all throughout everything that I was researching. Was he, he was a kid who didn't fit in, and music was his avenue of trying to make something of himself. And he decided that from super early age. Watching the footage of him playing in front of all those people, just, you know, if my outfit says anything, it says, it's meant to say that I just want a fetal position right now and just find some comfort because he is living the dream that I have dreamt since I was a wee lad. But I mean, stinking kudos to him, by the way, to anyone listening at home or wherever you are, if you hear the crinkling of some aluminum foil. That's because we're downing some brownies right now. I'd also say if you're chewing, maybe like back away from the mic. That way we don't have the nice ASMR. That's a good note. Wouldn't want to ruin this episode with that. <laughs> just the entire episode. Nothing's better comfort food than brownies, you that's know? That's true. And I just need comfort. Straight up facts. Help me domo. So even earlier in the documentary, it showed him when he was an even younger lad. I don't know how old he was. 9, 10, 11, 12 Maybe I, not that young. In the studio, writing that song that was not good, when he's like, I'm just yeah. a teenager. Yeah, I actually went, <laughs> I, I don't know if you did this, but I went and listened to his very first EP. Yeah, I've done that. That was a part of it. and I, At least I'm pretty sure. And it was called The Orange Room, and he recorded it when he was like 13, 14 years old. And so he'd been writing for a long time before that. But that was when he actually first started recording stuff. Man, he really started young. And yeah, it, it, the thing that really got me was like, it was bad. Like that first EP, I think he's even shown it like on Fallon or uh, one, of the, one of those shows where he said, I was not good. I, I was not a naturally gifted singer. And I think time has proven that that's partially true. There's, I, I think Ed Sheeran's a really good example of when talent and hard work really combine. Yeah, just keep on munching your brownie. <laughs> we don't, we don't have anywhere for you to. You could lay on the counter if you'd like. You're so right, though. There's there's another part podcast. in the <laughs> documentary when he is playing in front of an orchestra. He's playing with an orchestra, and he does everything in one take. I was shocked that with all the other crazy things that they showed in the documentary, what really shocked me most was him doing his vocal take. Mm -hmm. Just first go with the whole orchestra. I wouldn't have chosen like 40 to sing alongside there. them. No, but I would have let them do their thing, and then I would have done what I do in the comfort of a studio later on. But we had an exchange, and there were separate points during the movie, but I think together they make a good point, where you said they care about the music. And I was talking about acoustics and all that sort of stuff. They were recording just in random rooms and using those for the actual album, like no acoustic treatment, no super huge professional setup. And then they would come in to Abbey Road Studios and do it in there. I think that's an, another example of like where they care about the music. When you're singing with 40 instruments of orchestral beauty behind you, right. you're going to get a way different take 
than if you're just listening to it through the headphones. You are. And the feeling I got when I watched him was this is a guy that has spent so many hours, mm-hmm. thousands of hours growing into somebody that can sing on key, which sounds dumb. Okay, just sing on key. No, that's, that's real. Seems like such a low bar. But you and I have experienced that to be a real thing. hundred takes. When you hear somebody that's Literally. like, I was born singing, you know, bars yeah. perfectly on key. Yeah. I don't know that I buy that. I mean, at least not for most everybody. He sings so well. He's he's grown into somebody that can control the energy that he delivers through the mic with his voice, with his instrument, when he's strumming his guitar. Every time he does a loop on his looper pedal, it's right on time. Mm-hmm. Just watching him perform is watching a master. Yeah. And I... Just need to eat more of these brownies because they're really good comfort <laughs> You're freaking food. Attacking those brownies. <laughs> I I think you know watching him, like you said, being a master. You know, I went to the 2018 show that was at the end of that documentary, and it was it was like one of them. It was a huge tour, world tour, and so he's. He played probably over a hundred shows doing that, but that was to date still one of the best shows that I've ever been to. And, and I'm really was, jealous that I wasn't there. And it was just him and his looper pedal. And like, there was one point where he brought on a guy to do a piano thing, but other than that, it was just him. And granted, the sound system did a great job of translating it all with like making you feel when he did bass parts, like it was an actual bass, and when he did beats on his guitar, it was an actual drum. Oh, the but, sound design of what they're doing is light years ahead of, of where most musicians are at. Yeah. And uh, it, it takes it's a wonder. It takes him from being the singer-songwriter to being like larger than life. Yeah. You told me a funny story once about that concert. Uh, what's that guy's name? It's like, you're beautiful. Oh, uh, James Blunt. That? Yeah. James Blunt. Yeah, yeah. What did he say? He went on stage. So and James Blunt opened for him, the guy who did that song. And everybody, that's all people know about him. But, and he kind of recognized it. Great song. He, he just he just owns it. He's like, I'm the You're Beautiful guy. And he was trying to play some of his new stuff. And he's like, this song is about a woman that I loved and she loved me, but she was married. And so uh, Oof. I, I was looking at her and... She was looking at me and, and like, like he just goes on like super boring story <laughs> and then he just says, and so it's really sad and then he plays it. <laughs> I'm like, this is what James Blunt is up to these days. I remember you saying something like, you know, he walks on and he goes, now I'm going to play the song that you were all conceived to. Oh yeah. That was for, okay. I was thinking of a different song. That was for You're Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then he said, like, uh, not just like take over the story, but I thought it was so funny. Um. He went on and he had a bunch of bandmates. Yeah. He's like, now a guy's going to go up that's going to put on a show, you know, this big, if not bigger. Yeah. With himself and a guitar. guitar. Yeah. I think it's funny to see how other musicians in the industry, big musicians, recognize that Ed Sheeran is incredible. He's doing something really incredible right now. I mean, that's another piece that I saw that was really cool when I... you know, whenever I start researching for these, I one of my biggest, I and mean, granted because it's the mission of the podcast, but one of my biggest goals is to find out, okay, like, what was the initial thing that got them noticed? And of course, there's a number of things. And so with Ed Sheeran, like he was just involved in music his whole life, doing live shows, going and finding people backstage to talk to. And his whole life, I think he's 29 right now. He's yeah. so young. Yeah. And he started when he was 11. And he, I heard he was born with a ukulele in his hand. You know, he might as well have been. Like it actually came out with him. Sorry, just keep going. Thank you. <laughs> but I'm trying to remember where I was at. Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> and so. So he was he had played a lot of shows and opened for a lot of people up to this point and he was like I think 19 years old, maybe 16. He was a teenager and 
he went he knew that in order to get to the next level he had to to actually be noticed he had to go to the united states and so he came over here and he was literally just doing what we talked about calling radio shows calling anybody that would listen and sending his music everywhere and he kept getting a lot of no's a lot of marketers said you know, we, we can't market a ginger who raps and plays acoustic guitar and wow. and all that sort of stuff. And then finally, he got booked onto a show with a guy named Jamie Foxx. And he went on the show. To be clear, this is the Jamie Foxx, The right? Jamie Foxx, okay. yeah, yeah. And he went on the show, played him some stuff for Jamie Foxx. And he tells it as a story way better than I ever could. And so if... if someone's actually interested in this i encourage them to go listen to it but he basically says ed sheeran he played me some songs and i i said you're amazing let me you know come over here with me and he brought him out to this crowd of 800 black people who were all just like like top level musicians you know like (laughs) bass player for sting like all these different people and you know all these other like a bunch of artists had gone up before him and then Ed Sheeran, this pasty ginger boy, gets up there. I'm with, already sweating in my onesie. With just a ukulele. And people are just like, what on God's earth is this? <laughs> There's no way that's true. He went up there with just a ukulele. Just a ukulele. And Jamie Foxx says he had a standing ovation in 12 minutes. Like, that's another example of, you know, people recognize what's good music across genres if they're honest and yeah yeah dig into the brownie (laughs) this is a lot to take in 12 minutes 12 minutes it's like three or four songs you think we would get a standing ovation (laughs) all i know is that these are really good brownies you're kind of hogging the brownies okay here's the thing that that's a crazy way to start your career first of all to run into jamie fox We've talked also about putting yourself in a position to be lucky yeah. rather than luck being something that's just, how would you define luck? It just happens upon you. No, you put yourself out there to raise the chances for it to happen upon you. And for him to go to America, that's a huge way to boost your chances of something like that. Kind of makes me wonder, what's our answer? Should we go to England? Should we go to Australia? Be like, you know, we'd stand out. We'd have we'd have no accents in a world of accented people. This is true. I have a feeling he came to America because of, you know, the publicity and it being the, the cultural center of music. Right. Oh, okay, <laughs> right, right. I guess we could stick where we're at near Austin, Texas, and we'd probably be just Probably fine. a good idea, yeah. Yeah. But to that point, that's something that he continually did. Like before that, when he was, I think, 15 he had just finished recording and released his, you know, EP. And he released a bunch of stuff over the course of his teenage years. Some of it is available, some of it's not. And so while he was still in high school, I couldn't figure... I I looked and looked and looked and I couldn't see. But a lot of the research that I found was like, he left home at 15 years old and moved from his little town that he grew up in in the United Kingdom and went to London so that he could actually play more gigs. And from there, uh, starting like a couple years later, he had he basically lived homeless for, I think, two years. And so he would just wow. play shows, sleep on the train, or sleep under one of the you know, causeways, and then wake up write, play shows. And he just lived homeless like that for a long time. And so that's the first big point here with us talking about Ed Sheeran, besides play a lot of shows, write a lot of music. Leaving home, leaving the bubble of the small hometown that you've been born in, no matter what your small hometown is, if you were born in LA or if you were born in some backwoods place that has like 100 residents, um, population 100. Do you say 100 residents when it's just like a little town? Wherever it is you're from, it's good to get outside of that bubble at some point. A lot of people come to L.A., but I think that works because they're from somewhere else. Yeah, And this doesn't just always have to be 
true, you know, for everyone. I'm sure there are people that are born in L.A. and are raised in L.A. and make it in L.A. Yeah. But you and I have discovered that it's really helpful when we left Texas and went to Colorado and lived out of our cars trying to implement this one, uh, this tip. And it changed our lives. Mm -hmm. So this is something that any artist could probably benefit from. You feel like you're losing something. You know, when you leave home, it's like you're leaving something behind. But you yeah. start to realize that's not how that works. It's still there. You can go back to it. Yeah, it'll you know, always be there. You haven't thrown anything away. Yeah. You've hit a pause button on something so that you can hit a play button on something so much bigger. Mm -hmm. And it's something that actually... I, I've, I've seen and heard people talk about this on even a scientific level where it actually activates different parts of your brain when you basically enter into the unknown and it makes more of you. And so you like your potential, the person that you could be, it, it's still you, even if you don't become that, Interesting. but going outside of what you currently know opens up new like pathways in your brain basically this is my very scientific speak you're doing well thank you and like bas basically opens you up to be able to you know be a more complete developed person and i i don't I like like cameron said this isn't just broad based everyone has to do this but i do think it is something that's really valuable leaving home yeah, it's not like any of these implementable tips are necessary for your success. But for somebody that's not successful, it's probably good to latch onto as many of them as you can. Like this next one, it's it's closely related. You know, if you leave home, that is an image of kind of giving your all, kind of saying, I'm I'm all in, I'm jumping in head first. It's a really heroic and great image, somebody that's adventurous. Um but I've been watching a show lately called Nathan for You. Mm -hmm. I just finished it. It's ridiculous um, and very controversial. <laughs> but I got a kick out of it. I thought it was a lot of fun. And the last episode, not to give like total spoilers, but there's a guy that really wanted to be an actor. And he's an old man now. He's what, 70s, 80s. Um, you see, you're eating brownies at all the wrong times. You're supposed to eat the brownie when you need comfort. Right now, we're having a good time. It's all sunshine and daisies. Comfort. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, imagine this guy in like the 50s, right? Handsome 50s. He's got like suave hair and like nice giant glasses as they did. Right. And he wanted to be an actor. He has the look, right? And he has a personality. He's good with the ladies. So he leaves home. He goes off to LA to pursue all of this. And this guy had a love interest. She wrote him letters all the time. And in the letters, she's saying things like, you're going to make it as an actor. You're talented. You are um, with God on your side. You know, you're, you're going to make this happen. You, you've got all these things going for you, right? Yeah. And it makes you feel, well, maybe puffed up. It might actually work against you. You get this confidence. Yeah. You maybe feel entitled to your success. And then all of a sudden... You work less hard than the next guy mm. because you feel one of these days I'm going to make it. The entitlement kills you. Yeah, it really does. And I think you should think about the, the sheer numbers are against you. There are greater odds that you don't make it as an artist. So probably the biggest thing you could do that Ed Sheeran absolutely did is actually dive in head first. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the last tip of leaving home. This is reminding yourself as often as possible that the numbers are not in your favor. Even if you have a good community that uplifts you, be aware of what it means, just like that other guy, to kind of get maybe puffed up in the wrong way. Um, not like pride. Puffed up kind of sounds like I'm talking about pride. I mean, it's uh, something that we've been through too, where it's just, we've had a lot of confidence in a lot of the songs that we've written and we've let that at times make us feel like we don't have to write as much because we've already got a bunch uh, that we're proud of or yeah. you know, anything along those lines. You maybe work less hard when you feel like you've got some good stuff in the bank. Mm -hmm. You've got some good stuff in your library. You're proud of your library. Nobody knows it exists. Yeah. 
Um, it's really a com- a conversation about comfort versus discomfort. And again, it's so closely tied to the idea of leaving home, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, because leaving home is, it seems so that's uncomfortable. A, that's an embodiment of it. Yeah, but this is just everything all the time. Like, everything is switched on. Yeah. You are a songwriter. You are a producer. You need to collaborate with people. You need to make merch. You need to build your website. You need to do you're your blog. You're a business person. You're a marketer. You're you are everything. everything yeah. Standing in everyone's shoes. Mm-hmm. And you can't be so overwhelmed that you do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. You can't just be stagnant because of that. You have to be the one that perseveres because even if you were to get educated, there's a thousand other people nowadays getting just as educated, maybe even more educated, even if you're more talented than them. And especially if you're not more talented than them, you have to dive in really hard. So Mm -hmm. I think that there's this idea that it should be easy the guy that wanted to be an actor, you know, maybe it was this lavish lifestyle. He wanted it to be easy. And I think that will kill your chances. And here he is, you know, 70, 80 years old, um, still really wanting to make it in Hollywood, applying to be on Nathan for you. <laughs> um, kind of made it in Hollywood because he made it on that show, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it was just such an image to me to think about 50 or 60 years going by. And... You and I talk about this from time to time. You've lived your life, and when you look back over your life as, say, an 80-year-old, as a grandfather, you might have not hit all of your goals, but you're going to find some way to be grateful Mm -hmm. for the journey. To kind of, this sounds more cynical than I mean for it to, but kind of justify the path that you took. Exactly. Yeah. This, and I want to you to say something like that. That that's that cynical kind of thing. That's what is real here. Most people they don't want to focus on the things they didn't accomplish. And I get that. And I totally say, get that. I I don't regret the mistakes I made cuz they made me into who I was. And all of that's actually true, yeah, yeah, right? Sure. So this is a weird dynamic topic, but to not accept defeat and push as hard as you can and then not make it. See, this is also just so difficult to talk about because that might hurt more than anything. Mm-hmm. If you really gave your all and didn't make it, that would be just didn't have like it. getting your nose just shoved down in the dirt. Yeah. And nobody wants that. But and I think sometimes that does happen. Yeah. And as, as scary as it is to pursue what you want to pursue, your dreams, with all that you have... You have to kind of recognize that it is a possibility to fail, but if you really want this to work out, um, you have to jump in and push hard for a significant period of time. Not yeah. like, hey, I went really hard this week, but like maybe 10 years yeah, or five years or three years. I mean, you could set a game plan, a, a map of some kind. And letting your ambition match the work that you put in. Yeah. And that was the main thing I wanted to, I wanted to mention here is Ed Sheeran. I don't see a guy that got lucky at a young age. Mm -mm. I see a kid that miraculous, miraculously figured out how to think about this. And he was always learning an instrument. He was always playing music for people. He was always collaborating with people. There's so much footage of him at a ridiculously young age doing these things. Mm Mm-hmm. And no matter what age you are when you're starting, because you don't have to be 14, it needs to look like that for a season. I really believe that. And yeah. I'm happy that we're getting into it. Well, I would, it's interesting because I would say that we have worked hard over the years, but still, for, for the ambitions that we have, we haven't worked hard enough. Journey to 10,000? Yeah, that stuff's crazy. Exactly. And I think what happens is not even that, you know, we mentioned people thinking it's going to be easy. I don't even know if that's an issue as much as people thinking like their version of hard work, not even measuring up to what hard work really is. 
And that's including myself and ourself. Right. And, you know, that's something that kind of separates a lot of these people from the rest of the pack is their version of hard work is, okay, I've worked till I'm tired and I'm going to get up and do it again. I haven't, you know, I I might take like a a break here or, or there, have some tea or... You know, there was a moment where he was on the cruise ship and they're like, we're going to go to the casino. But the I think that the most important part is the consistency of coming back over and over. The casino's like two hours out of your hardworking day as opposed to wasting weeks at a time. Right. Uh, yeah, of not coming back to what you've started or finishing something and feeling like you've earned something just because you finished it. And so not continuing. Yeah, I, we could go on about this forever, but essentially, what do you want more? Do you want the comfort of binging a TV show, the comfort of playing a bunch of video games all the time, or do you actually want the really hard-to-obtain dream of whatever it is for you as an artist? It could It could legitimately be fame, it could be fortune, it could be you know, large outreach. Um, it could be having your, your voice be worth something, or it could just be, you know, Hey, I'd like to be able to wake up every day and create art and not have to do a nine to five, something simple, something smaller, something that's just about you and the art that you do. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, how do you do that? How do you be the small percentage of people that actually makes it and there's not any one answer i think we are kind of grasping at straws we're taking everything we can take and we're just trying to up the odds as much as we can in our favor so it's leave home it's dive in i mean those things are vague but it's really you've got to do what you can do you've got to make the most of it and in the end you might make it and you might not but You're still going to live your life. You're still going to meet people and gain interesting stories. You might find a partner that you love. You might have kids. You might do a lot of cool things and see the world. And even if you didn't make it in your dream, if you make the most of it, you ought to not regret much. Because I find that a lot of people that go headfirst into stuff don't have those kinds of regrets that people that don't ever dive in at all. They might not even tip dip their toe in the water, um, they might have a few more regrets when they're older because of the things that they, not the things they did, but the things that they didn't do. Yeah. I think that's something that I've heard a lot of people say when asking people at a retirement home or just asking grandparents, the, the regrets are rarely having to do with things that they did do, but the things they didn't do. And so it's, that's kind of what we left off on before we had to switch the cameras, but that's the piece of self-awareness is knowing what you want and being willing to set other things aside for that. Yeah. Side note, I think I might keep this hairdo, you know, just the just tussle. got right out of the shower. Um, who knows if I need a haircut Looks or not? a little bit it's like, just... a, like a brunette uh, Ed Sheeran. Thank you. That's what I was going for. I figured. <laughs> I'm going to need a brownie on that one. Um, you want to dink the brownie? Ah, oh, Judas. <laughs> you don't dink a brownie, Tanner. You can. Makes me realize that I'm so close yet so far with this hairdo. A little more like Ed, not at all like Ed. The next big point that I think would be nice to mention is the ability to record anywhere. Yeah. That is nuts. That was a cool point in the movie. And it kept breaking my brain because I've I've been bedroom producer for years now. And it's kind of sad to say it's like you've been, quote unquote, bedroom producer for years and you're still at this level. (laughs) But it's, you know, watching them record just wherever they happen to be, they it a lot of the things they were doing went against all of the studying and knowledge that I'd done of this is how room acoustics 
is going to affect your recording. This is these are the big no nos, and there there was a moment where they were, he was co writing with some people, and his producer was there, and they were in a nice studio, but Ed Sheeran he happened to be kind of just vibing, writing the song in the corner of the room by the window next to a window with the door open bird singing outside noise going on around him and those are all like big no-nos in recording and they just slapped a mic in front of him and said go and didn't even say go just started going and that's when i said you know they make it look like uh sound treatment is a joke they do and you also mentioned a certain another certain point that we already mentioned but they care about the music no that that is what they think about it's like in this atmosphere it's all about the music what's going to translate better to the listener the genuine feeling that they that those musicians have right now at this moment as they're inspired and they're actually playing off of each other and enjoying the magical moment that happens when musicians are actually in the groove with each other or having a cleaner recording because you had some acoustic panels. You kept having moments in the documentary where you were like, Oh, okay. They are going to re-record. Oh no, no, no. no, no okay. No, wait, they are. Song. They are going to re-record. <laughs> Cause there's, there's a mix. It's not like as if they can't use the recording that they did in front of the window with the door right. open. Or like that they did outside or yeah, any, or any on that. the cruise ship, just mm-hmm. pro bono. Yeah. It, it's the mixture, you know, cause they had, they had those moments where they would actually go to, you know, Abbey road studios or they would go to professional top level studios, but that was in addition to what they had already done. And yeah. so it's, it it's had not, to do with what they were going for. Like yeah, an and orchestra. It, and it's not demonizing, saying there's no value to acoustic treatment, all this sort of stuff. Like if you if you have the ability to use a good sounding room or good equipment, then like, yeah, better to you. But the, the point is that if you're worried that your stuff doesn't sound good or that your song isn't good because of your gear... You're worried about the wrong thing. That's when this just is tough. Yeah. If your song's not good, your song's not good. Yeah. And we've had that happen with songs that we thought were really good. When we got in the studio, we thought, crap, it's not good. <laughs> you learn a lot in the studio. Yeah. And I think that there are a number of songs we've written that were really good. But mm-hmm. when we got to the studio, we got confused yeah. just because we didn't know what to do in that setting. Mm-hmm. We were unfamiliar with what a studio was. And that the moment we stood in one, it it stopped us in our tracks. It started having us overthink everything. And what you see them doing when they're together in a studio is the last thing you see them doing is overthinking. Mm-hmm. They're, they they're are in going. their element. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. It that's freedom. Yeah. Like artistic freedom. I was trying to read up on artistic freedom with this podcast episode of Ed Sheeran. And I learned that really the meaning is something else. It's like, you know, if the government or or anything <laughs> has a reason for you to not write certain stuff because it's not politically correct or or whatever else, there are certain agendas or whatnot, and you can't write what you want. And you're like, no, I'm an artist. You know, where's my artistic freedom to create whatever I want to write? Uh whatever I want to make, despite what the message is, it's, it's the message like I want you, to give. It's where the line gets blurred between freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And there's a little bit of that here. I mean, you could see when Ed Sheeran got frustrated and had to put his foot down and be firm yeah. with the producer when he was in the room. You you even said, what a difference there is the in like stress between, levels. Yeah, recording with, because ex- there's the A&R executive was in the room with him. From the label. From the label. And they had... He had just said in a different scene, like 30 minutes beforehand, I don't like making music when people are just watching me. If the producer is there and is contributing, wonderful. Or if there's a co-writer, that's great. But if someone's just sitting there watching me, I get like insecure. I get self-conscious about myself. And it just so happens that he was making Shape of You while all that was happening. And so 
ooh, poor Ed Sheeran. <laughs> but yeah, the difference in the stress level when he was actually, you know, like you said, having to put his foot down in the middle of that recording session as compared to when it was just him and the seven other songwriters and they were just flowing and the the producers and the sound engineers were there to serve them and were working really behind the scenes to just have every all the infrastructure in place for when they say we're ready, record, it's ready to go. Right, right. I mean, he appears to be a leader when he's in a room with 13 people oh, yeah. and they're all playing music. You get the feeling that he is the person who is assembling all of it. But when there's an A&R executive, producer, yada yada, sitting in the back of the room telling you, I don't like that bass line compared to this bass line, you feel that you know who you are. You're Ed Sheeran. You're the leader. You did a lot of things to get here. You've become comfortable. You've become confident. Mm-hmm. You know that you're skilled. You look at this other guy that's kind of questioning your leadership, but who is he? He doesn't have hit songs. He doesn't have hit records. I, I was listening to, um, I think Kanye West said it recently. He was like, why am I going to listen to somebody that's not doing what I'm wanting to do? Mm. You know, if somebody's going to give me input on what I'm doing, he hasn't got the ability to do what I'm wanting to do. It's like this gap between somebody that has actually taken on the identity of being an artist and has seen it through and done some incredible stuff. Then when somebody that's kind of like more of a business person than an artist comes to you with ideas, I feel like you'd be so not interested Mm -hmm. when they're artistic ideas and you're like, no, I've got that covered. Thank you. That's such a main reason why I don't want to be a businessman first. I want to be an artist first, and I've got to get that flipped around because I've been... spent so much time training as a businessman. Yeah, I've been on the wrong side of things over the last year. It's been really great. Learned a lot of good things. No regrets. Yeah. I'm so excited to just start creating for the sake of creating, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy right now that our response is from watching that movie is immediately at 12 a.m. to come in and say, let's make a podcast with it. And so, yeah. you know, that feels good. But the thing that, that really matters is that we come back and do it again tomorrow. Right. Well, in the music video ideas we were coming up with. And yeah. The, the blackboard that Not we put up on the, the wall. podcast, of course. Right. I mean, let... Can you take my phone real quick, or yours? It has a better camera. Can you go into the hallway and film uh, some B-roll for the YouTube side of what we're doing uh, to show what the blackboard shows that we wrote down as the roles that we need to fill? So what Tanner's showing right now is a list of roles that were just two guys, but there's like a team worth of things that we need to get done. And I remember the ri- the list being way more than you could wrap your mind around at one time just looking at it. It's really something we could go to. What what? How did you put it the other day? Which one am I neglecting right neglecting. now? Neglecting, yeah. Because there there are probably fifteen or so things, different roles that need to be filled. That we're not gonna be doing all of them at the same time. No of way. Course. Yeah. There's not a possible way because since we're independent artists like this, we don't have a team behind us. And so we are the ones who have to be the engine that drives this whole thing forward. And at a certain point, if you get signed or, you know, Ed Sheeran, he's not, he's just his own songwriter and live performer. Pretty much. I mean, I'm sure there are other things he has a hand in with his music, but he doesn't have to be the publisher. He doesn't have to be the marketer. He doesn't have to make his own merch. He doesn't have to do a podcast to, you know, whatever. He can do whatever he wants. And that's good on him because he gets to do the things that he is best at more. And so for us to get to that point would be amazing. Because honestly, I, I, I don't enjoy marketing. Uh, I don't enjoy. And I'm excited at the idea of learning how to advertise and market. Yeah. And so that's the cool thing about at least having a duo between the two of us where 
we can delegate those responsibilities out to different things. For a long time, my, I've had a heavier hand in the producing because you weren't as interested. Now you're more interested in, and that'll probably help us being able to you know play off of each other with that. But I sure hope to, so. I hope I don't just suck at it. <laughs> you you we'll will see for a little while at least. <laughs> Encouraging words. Yeah. The, Thank you. The real that that's actually something that there was a moment in the documentary when Ed Sheeran went to his old high school and was basically teaching a music class to like five other kids. And I mean, first off, it was after he had already gotten big. And so just going back, like he he's one of the most humble and like still himself kind of superstars there is, I think. And so that's really cool in the first place. But he was talking about his songwriting process, and this is something that can help with the songwriters here, where he said, songwriting is kind of like a dirty tap water system where you you turn on the faucet and it's just dirty water, it's mud, it's gross, and you let it flow and... After a while, it starts to spew out clean water, and eventually, Yuck. eventually, it gets to the point where it's if you keep the faucet going, it's going to keep spewing out clean water. Our mentors, Kevin and Stacy, Kevin told me a similar thing with getting something off the ground. You know, with with the old water pumps to get the water out of the pump, you'd have to try really hard it'd be really tough to pump the water up to the surface and then once the water was flowing you just kind of keep lightly pumping it but it doesn't take anywhere near as much effort but as soon as you stop pumping as soon as you let up on it and the water goes back down to get it back up again you're gonna have to try really hard all over again and that's that idea of momentum right so with songwriting or with doing anything that you're trying to get better at like we've mentioned before the consistency is key to just keep doing it like he said write a song a day you you, it's going a lot of them are going to be bad at first and some of them will be bad throughout but eventually you're going to get to the point where the dirty tap water it is remaining clean for the most part yeah Yeah, and a lot of people would have an issue with that idea of write a song a day because they'd say, I don't have that kind of time. And again, if you think about your priorities, your time allocation, you should be able to make time for something that's important enough to you. Mm -hmm. We make time for things that matter to us. And you might not have that figured out in any area of your life, right? I mean, let's say you have a kid And you would say that they're the most important thing in the world to you. But do you spend a lot of time with them or do you spend a lot of time at work or doing business and then working after hours? Or your wife, you know, y'all haven't even had a little niblet yet. You just, you and your, you and your spouse um, in a nice little home. (laughs) Do you spend time together or do you spend time doing all sorts of other stuff? Do you spend time golfing? I mean, I'm taking like a guy's take here a lot of just white dudes that I know that are in their 40s but it's so so true when you learn this we make time for what's important to us and you shouldn't just be aware of that like that's something that should beat in your chest and you should make something of that if you know it's true you need to to get on top of that and what what how is it that you said it in dreams awake no, it was old pages when you wrote old pages. Which, Make some time and keep it on your side. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, exactly what we're talking about here. Exactly. That that's kind of a key and another like you mentioned dreams awake if growing old is what is wrong then never let me age. The the, the growing old isn't what's wrong the one of the results of growing old though is letting those habits form without Mm. the awareness that they're forming and wow yeah so it's 
what you said. It's knowing what's important to you. And maybe making it isn't important to you. And you would, I, I mean, we knew a guy last year who does great music, John Colwell. And he blatantly said, like, we thought he was come at, coming at it from the same place that we were. But then we asked him, what's your goal with it? And he said, if I can make a living from it, that'd be awesome. But ultimately, my real passion is teaching. And so I'm just going to dive into that and then do this music on the side. And Which is so it, awesome. respectable for him to understand that. I loved it. I loved it that he wasn't like, At the time I, I didn't make it. understand. This is the most important thing in my life and then spend more time focusing on teaching or whatever it may be. He had that self-awareness to say, these, this, this is my priority list, and so that's the time that I'm going to allocate to these things. It's funny that you say, I loved it. Like, at the time you understood and connected because at the time I was not on the same page yeah, like and I was like, scoff, like <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is life, you know, which is funny I mean, because maybe, nothing maybe in I my life reflected that, that belief. I might be projecting my current self on the past self. Who knows? But all I know is that I think it was wise. Well, I'm surprised I didn't finish all those brownies. I mean, I've really, you know, I'm, I'm Dude, chipper man. I've really there's a lot of brownie here at the beginning. But I did people who are just listening them. don't understand how much of Cameron's tummy is full of brownies. <laughs> there is about a two by two of brownie left, and I'm not going to eat it because look at how it. happy I've become. I've really perked up. You have. Is there anything else that that you want to cover on Ed Sheeran? I feel like we we really went through a lot of good points. I mean, there, there's a few things. Yeah. Go for um, it. Oh, one other important songwriting tip to go with the dirty water thing that he mentioned was Yuck. if writing, if while writing a song, the song is bad. I've heard a lot of people have different opinions on this. Like in the middle of writing the song, you can tell that it's just not really it. His advice was to finish it. Not to I love that. Not to immediately ditch it, knowing that it's not the one, but to finish it saying, if that song is bad and you don't get it out of your get it out of your system, then you're gonna carry that into the next song that you start. And so I think that's a cool point. I I know there are some people that might disagree with that. I think I remember Ryan Tedder saying, I could be wrong on this, but I think I remember him saying that if he knows the song isn't it, he's gonna move on. Or maybe he's just so proficient that he just finishes it anyway. But I think that was an important point. It's hard to know, but I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that of what Ed Sheeran's saying. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, Ed Sheeran's a cool guy. I I respect him. I love his music. Um, he started out in life as a ginger kid that was bullied, picked on for, and had a stutter. That and did, eventually, no offense to him, but did not seem like he would be the guy that made it to where he made it. No. And, you know, he got over it. One of the, this is a side side note, but it's kind of funny. One of the things that helped him get over his stutter is his dad bought him an Eminem EP and he learned every word to it. No kidding. Yeah. That's, like that's that. how the story goes. That's the way I heard it. Eminem helping us all get over our stutters. One mass lyric filled song at a time and so you can kind of see that throughout the combining of genres that is ed sheeran whether it's some form of white guy rap or folk or soul music all combining to make this weird pop singer songwriter and he's become larger than life he's he i i think he was the second most streamed artist of the decade, last decade, right behind Drake. And it definitely inspires us to to be like him. Yeah. Larger than life, and he now I want some slice of it. He somehow simultaneously feels attainable and so far and away above us. Yeah, the part that I hope is attainable above all else, because, yeah, we've got the journey to 10,000, play in front of 10,000 people, yada, yada thing. I want the freedom. The freedom that you see come out of him when he plays music. Oh yeah. The the fact that he's made it past overthinking everything. He's not he's not tense up here. 
he does a lot of music. He does a lot of writing. He does it with a lot of people that you can tell he loves. A good community of musicians. And that is so enviable. <laughs> the freedom of that. Yeah. So um, I think it's about time we ask the question, what's your favorite Ed Sheeran song? <laughs> I hate having to answer this question because there's there I love so many of them but not one necessarily stands far and above the rest one that gets me a lot of the times is even my dad does sometimes mm. um, where you know it's all right to cry even my dad does sometimes that that whole song it the piano rhythm uh, was one of the inspirations for the piano behind old pages, just the really? rhythm and the timing of it. And, you know, the, the lyrics nice. are beautifully crafted and it gets me in my feels. But there, yeah. there's plenty of others that I could easily say. What about you? Well, I'm going to eat this last piece of brownie. Hey, hey, hey s- um, split that. I, I was saving it. Don't you? <laughs> Please. I'm going to hate myself later. I hate you now. <laughs> it's just... It's fine. I'll show He has so many good songs... I'll settle for crumbs. ...that I can't begin to give a favorite. It used to be Give Me Love. Oh, I forgot about Give Me Love. Yeah, you sure did. It's a great one. God dang. But as time goes on, his writing evolves. Yeah. His lyrics become more masterfully crafted... I don't even know if that's true because A Team and all of his songs are so good. <laughs> Breathing I'm just, heavy through that brownie. <laughs> I'm just gonna eat my brownie and just recognize that he's way better than us. We can say I've got a goal you, to strive for. For you, we can say it's "Give Me Love," but he, so many songs are worthy of taking that mantle. But I drink this water. Drink your water. That's Ed Sheeran, people. <laughs>